Welcome to the JMS Podcast with Jorge M. Sanchez. Thank you for tuning in. We have another great guest. Today's guest is Matt Mullins. He is a musician here from the uh, South Bay. Had the great opportunity to work with Matt Mullins at a recent gig in Santa Cruz. He was the bass player and harmonica player for my band, The Wandering Poets. And it was great to finally have him here on this podcast. I consider him an amazing person and uh, I think lucky enough to consider him a friend. And uh, before we get there, we have another segment, Weird New World, where me and Ryan Sudakran are going to talk about the future of language. It's a rather interesting topic, and I can't wait to show you guys that. But before we get all that, let's get a couple things out of the way, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone else in between. And that is, you can subscribe to the JMS Podcast if you like. I much prefer you do. Uh, It would totally mean the world to me if you could subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. You can also follow the JMS Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you're like, well, what else does the JMS Podcast do? Huh? Is it just uh, this guy named Jorge talking? No, it's much more than that. Please visit the JMSPodcast.com website and you'll see what I'm talking about. I just released a brand new sound session video. Had the opportunity to... Uh, film uh, a previous guest here a musician by the name of Zach Freitas uh, I filmed him playing a, an, a, an acoustic original Desolate Animals it was a fun shoot uh, it was in the middle of nowhere well for him you know it was not really for me it was middle of nowhere because I'm you know I live in this bubble in the Bay Area but I had to had to travel south to the to uh, near Hollister at this beautiful retreat and uh, and that's where Zach Freitas hangs out sometimes, and it was great to film him in his environment, in his natural habitat. So check out that video. Look for JMS Podcast Sound Sessions, and it is available on YouTube. And you're like, well, I don't have the time to look at YouTube. Just go straight to the website, JMS Podcast. All right, let's go to our first segment, this segment of Weird New World, uh, with uh, my friend Ryan Sudakran, and, and, uh, who is an amazing comedian. You can catch him on Wednesday nights. Usually he comes to my uh, weekly show at the Frascati uh, uh, Comedy Open Mic. And uh, yeah, let's get to that. here with Ryan Sudakran for another episode of Weird New World. Yeah, good to be back, Jorge. Yeah. But what are we talking about today? Today, um, it's something I've been thinking about a lot. Uh, I wanted to talk about language and the mm. future of language as, as the format goes. That's interesting because, like I mentioned to you before, there was a recent article that came out that they unplugged uh, an AI program yeah. because it started developing its own language and a lot of us you know who are not familiar with that uh, field interpret it as like oh shit like once they start creating your own language how much power does that give them and meaning uh, to start you know communicating and planning things out without us knowing yeah uh, and, and it's like 
and then you, and then you came away like no they just don't understand the coding <laughs> yeah no <laughs> it's it's easy to i mean people sensationalize the headlines right but what really happened and in fact i think another article was released that clarified it was that facebook had created these two uh ai or bots that were communicating with each other and then it, it started doing you know garbage right uh, as far as english language is concerned it started uh, giving uh sequences that were undecipherable by humans and that that wasn't a, they didn't shut it down because it was scary they shut it down because they couldn't understand the output and deal with their own bots but but, but i think that leaves us with uh with i like a different perspective in that and that is that uh i mean in this case for computers i understand that maybe it's more technical mm. but for humans language is a real big deal it's how we communicate with each other it's how we you know how we Put things together how we plan things how how uh how we can misinterpret people and cultures well it's really yeah no exactly it's all of those things and and actually i think it's really what sets us apart from from other animals because we have a language processing part of our brain that is structurally different uh, i forget the name of the part of the brain but it's it's evolved to have a logical a more logical breakdown of language so it's not just sounds you know because a lot of animals communicate via sounds right wolves will howl monkeys will you know make noises in certain patterns which that is an encoding of information right a bird song is information it's information about mating but complex symbolic information is something that humans have on their own and, and some people say dolphins have it like dolphins have unique names and encoding messages so they might be the closest but humans definitely have the biggest grasp on it and that seems to be what set us apart evolutionarily from other animals. Because think about it. Well, what if uh, you had a tribe of people? You had two tribes of people, okay? One with symbolic logic, one without. So if two people two from each of those tribes went into the forest and then, uh, you know, saw wolves, right? One, the tribe without symbolic logic, the person would come back and just yell and freak out, right? And so the freak out is is clearly there's something dangerous in the woods but it's unclear about the details so now that tribe will just never go in the woods again could be right because oh this person freaked out whereas tribe two the person comes back and says you know near the ridge near the river don't go near the river there's wolves near the river right right so then now maybe they can cover more of the forest and avoid the river so they can still harvest the berries or whatever resources are in the forest but because of symbolic logic they're able to move forward and and they, they can you know uh, surpass natural selection and they'll be the type of tribe that moves on whereas the other tribe might very well die out because they don't have that ability for symbolic logic and it's also it's it's kind of in a way uh i think kind of cool it's it's kind of bootstrapping and, and 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 propelling evolution beyond the natural scale of things right because normally you know if a crocodile was born the way that it knows to hunt is by instinct right it's in its dna to my understanding of reptiles at least they don't have teaching by their parents they, it's just inside their dna and their genetics and they'll figure it out based on instinct right mm -hmm. whereas mammals are different and mammals teach their young right so the things are passed down so if there is a type of cheetah that was better at hunting then it will try to teach or to some extent you know uh influence its kin but that's it, it can't speak so the kin can only copy whereas human beings you can pass down the writings of your culture so then now the next generation doesn't have to take 
doesn't have to do all of the trial and error that the previous generation did, right? So maybe one group of people figured out how to farm. Instead of the next generation of people figuring it out all from scratch, you can teach them specific instructions. You can write down specific instructions. Mm -hmm. And it also allows for cooperation between cultures, right? Write down rules. The for mathematics was invented because of trade, right? And it used symbolic language for numbers. Mm -hmm. So there's all of these different things that are at the bedrock of our civilization that comes purely from language. And it's fantastic. And I think it's going in another direction as well. It's, 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 it's evolving from that state into something deeper. Well, it's interesting because the, the evolution of language is nothing new. Because uh, as we know, you know, uh, several cultures, languages have come and gone. Hmm. Even to this day, there's a lot of dying languages out there. Right. And uh, with it is a lot of dying uh, culture identities. Right. What's different now is now with the internet, now with social media, I wonder where does the future of language go from there? Is Does it expedite it to a whole different level mm -hmm. or does it transform it to a, 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 a level that, that n like never before can we communicate and express and uh, teach? see this is an interesting question because I think that it has a huge impact essentially texting has influenced our language how when people write lol now it doesn't actually mean laugh out loud no one's looking at lol and laughing out loud or no one was laughing out loud and wrote lol lol means something different in a conversation it surpassed its literal meaning so now, now there's all these new symbols like emoticons right emoticons convey a feeling right if I'm late night texting a girl a winky face there's a feeling associated to that, right? There's something, whatever, modern dating culture, there's like a flirtatious feeling, right? There's no direct, that doesn't mean anything in terms of words, anything direct, right? It's, it's like an emotional symbol. It doesn't have any literal translation of a sentence or a word, right? Some people say smiley face, but it could mean something depending on the, it's context dependent language. Right? You could put a smiley face, like you could say, oh, in a text, oh, I freaking hate you, you're the worst. Smiley face, that's a sarcastic smiley face now. So in some ways, do you feel we're going back to the times of hieroglyphs? In a way, because there's, there's a type of storytelling that is now pictorial. So in a way, I think it is pretty similar. I mean, I don't know, I'm not, I haven't studied hieroglyphs much, but I do know that it's like pictorial language. So it kind of is, and I, and I think, I, I think that would be accurate. But I, I also think that like, communication it's changing in terms of a medium it's faster to get things uh to get certain types of information through right like a poem or literature conveys a very detailed scene right it takes a lot of patience to get there to understand a full idea but now we're in the age of like quick headlines and just rapid communication and i feel like the the um the art of creating a full discourse and or like a speech or like a, a, a deeper idea that requires either a lot of text or a lot of time to convey is going away. And, and, and it's leading more into rapid transactional communication. Hmm. So like, let's get this done. Let's talk about this. Let's do this. Let's do that. So th I, th I feel like it's starting a kind of dissociation. I'm not sure. I don't have any data to back it up. That's kind of my my take on it. Um, but I don't know if that's necessarily bad or good. It's hard to tell because I mean, I could come from a standpoint of like, oh, you know, we're losing a lot of 
uh, interpersonal value with texting, but that could not, maybe it's not the case. Maybe there's going to be new mediums of expressing yourselves coming out of social media. How about in education? Like, how, how does the future of, let's say, the Eng- English language going to affect the future generations uh, when it comes to uh, uh, dealing with literature, so, such as literature? Well, uh, I think that's already something like that's already happening. There's a lot of YouTube channels that are condensing it, right? There's a crash course and things like that, that channel that just kind of give you quick summaries. I mean, there was always spark notes, but now I think people are more into like just watching a video about it, getting the gist. Do you have an idea of how uh, the English language is going to look like pretty soon? Do you have a, uh, any theories on that? I So I, I think about this. This is a big thing in sci-fi. Um, well, I think so. Imagine if we... This is just me like imagining things. But I if we have like brain-to-brain communication... Like telepathic? Yeah. So no, if, we, if we're able to encode... Uh, reliably encode the neural signals in our brains and then get some sort of information out of there it could be that there is some universal underlying structural language under every type of language like if you can find a way to to get the most compressed efficient transmission of human thought then there will not need to be anything need to be any use for verbal language structure Right, because I mean, there's there 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 is a translation process that goes through a person's mind. Right, imagine I'm trying to tell you a story about a cat that I saw on the road the other day. Right, so the first step of that thing is I imagine the scene in my head. Um, cat walking on the road. Right, and then from there, I it, this happens very fast in everyone's brain. You go from the picture to the words, and that step is based on how you learned language. And so from that step, you develop the sentence and then it goes to your vocal part of your brain and then it controls your muscles and your vocal cords. And now we're talking, right? But maybe there, it's possible that there isn't this, this underlying uh, uh, similar pattern, but maybe that there is a way in which neurons fire in the language center of the brain that is typical among all human beings, right? Maybe there is just something encoded in our biology for the way that we judge certain things in the world, that if we're able to understand that those neural firing patterns, then we can develop a higher order language and communicate extremely efficiently, no fluff whatsoever, transmit emotions and imagery and, and the context through from one brain to the other. It could be that this is impossible. It could be that... Well, I figure that we have, you know, people think about microchipping themselves or even having... Um, uh, I want to say bionic, uh, yeah, bionic tech. Yeah, like more and more people are are trying to ingrain technology into their bodies. Right. Uh, I figure there's a good possibility that maybe there's a form of that. So there's a possibility, I think, of the hardware. But what I'm talking about is, is there a possibility of? So say you and I want to communicate with that technology, right? Maybe the technology is there to read my brain waves, read your brain waves. But it could be that the way that we arrive at ideas is very different. Right, the way that we arrive to an image of a cat on the street is not the same for me and you or for someone in China or someone in India or someone born in Mongolia based on how their brains grew and how they learned language. It could be there is, but I don't know. I haven't I haven't really seen any evidence for or against. 
Now, would that leave room for diversity in, in thought, though? If anybody has this universal level of understanding each other uh, on a telepathic level? See, that's the scary thing that I don't know, because I think I think diversity comes from, yeah, from different upbringings, right? Like, ch- they've, they've shown that certain languages are, are subject predicate, certain languages are predicate subject. So... Uh... So in Japanese, it's kind of flip-sided from in English. Like, uh, um, I went to the store and bought a packet of juice. In Japanese, that would start, pretty much the sentence would start with store. Like store, niiku, something like that, right? Like you would start with where you went first and then refer to yourself. So there's like different ways of rearranging ideas. So it could be that like just the base that your information retrieval networks in your brain are differently structured because of the way you learn language. I mean, I, and if that's the case, then maybe there's a deeper similarity there, or maybe it's just almost impossible to create a universal language from your brain waves. Mm. So I don't know that. It, I think just think that's a cool direction for research to go, like to figure out whether there is some sort of underlying structure, like pattern similarity between the way that different humans from different languages think because um i read somewhere i think it was google had a release where their google translate algorithm the way that they translate from one language to another is it's a type of neural network model so they they pass in like english and they grab the 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 general idea from the sentence and it passes down into a middle layer and then it the, from the general idea they build it up in the other language so that middle layer has something that is kind of language independent, right? So from English to Hindi, there's a process that takes it from English to Hindi. And in the middle of that process, there's it's like this weird language no man's land where, where it's just all abstract concepts that are then repackaged by whatever language is syntax and grammar. But before that syntax and grammar, it's just, it's meaning. It's like, it's like, it's like the real meat of whatever your sentence is. And if we can understand that, like the middle point between languages, even away from the brain, then maybe that's also something interesting. Like maybe all languages can somehow converge to that, whatever middle language at some point, like thousands of years, if humanity lasts that long. Like English English is already seeming to be the international standard, but it could be that when, if things evolve to a point and we start getting more efficient in the way that we communicate, then it could be like that. Like we could get to find that universal language in the middle. But All right. It was unclear, you know. Ryan, thank you for coming by. Yeah, no. I'm Any happy. closing thoughts? Um, One closing thought, actually. I don't think I addressed this fear. The fear is, say we all connected to the net. All of us, right? And to, we did, To the internet. To the We all connected together and we're communicating at super fast uh, speeds and all of us are communicating on the same language. It could be that because there is no diversity in our the way we communicate, that that everyone kind of eventually oscillates to this equilibrium, and then it just generates a hive mind, like, and then there's we're pretty much all parts of the same whole. Like it could be like that, right? It's like, like everyone is so similar, and then in order to communicate, you need to become more similar, and then it's just, it just eventually like becomes this one homogenous whole of people is an idea maybe it's like a cool sci-fi idea but i i thought that 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 seems to me like it could be a fear 
or a, a peril of, of doing something like that, like connecting everyone uh, brain to brain. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Maybe maybe that fear is unfounded. But Well, cool. I think it's a legit fear uh, because let's say it is hive-minded, but even in hive mind, who who are the what is the power dynamics? Who's the one in charge of the hive? And and you know it's like because language even to this day and for the longest throughout the human history, language sometimes is a form of power. Yeah, it, yeah. You know those who have a you know, if you were well educated, if you read, if you knew how to write, you know, if you knew how to communicate on that level, you were considered someone who's very educated and 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 of power essentially of of social power. Uh, so if this future of yours that you're describing is where everybody's on the same level and yet leaves no room for individuality, um, it's like, well, then who is in charge? And, 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 and in my experience, if you put everybody in charge, nothing gets done. Yeah, so that's <laughs> that's weird. And, we and, and if we're all connected to the Internet, we're all going to be t- thinking about dicks and cats all the time. Yeah, but you know, maybe we, there's so many dicks and cats that that eventually becomes boring, and then everyone does something else. So I don't, I know it's 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 weird to it's weird to think about it. I, I don't know, I don't know if there will be a power structure. Like it could be that that's the end of humanity when everyone is the same. That's the end of humanity. Like there's no struggle, there's no competition. But competition seems to be what keeps civilizations alive, what keeps species alive. Natural selection is the driving force for life. I think. Yeah, I agree. So it's like, yeah, what's gonna happen if that? I mean. That's why it seems like a, w- a weird type of nightmare to be. But maybe there's no such way to get a hive mind because some guy's always going to be in power. So maybe we can be thankful that some asshole's in power <laughs> always. All right, Ryan, on that note, thank you for coming. Yeah, no, it was a pleasure as, as always. And there you have it, the future of language. Would you like to add on to this conversation or would you like to be part of this conversation? Please feel free to email me at jmspodcast at gmail.com. Let us know of your thoughts. I'm looking forward to them. I'd definitely love to uh, hear about different perspectives on certain subjects, and this is one of them. What do you think our language is going to end up? So, again, you can email me at jmspodcast at gmail.com. All right, let's move on to our main guest, Matt Mullins. Uh, he plays an amazing song towards the end. He played it here in front of me in the studio. And I got to admit, it, it made me emotional. It, it really it resonated to something that's been happening um, recently in my life. I, I received some, um, some bad news uh, that affected me emotionally. And hearing him playing that song, how am I supposed to know? Uh, really touched something to my core and in some ways it really helped me heal so uh, I really again get to send another big thank you to Matt Mullins for playing that song here on the JMS podcast and I'm sure that you listeners are going to enjoy it but before we go to the conversation I am going to play one of his songs from the band that he's in that he formed called the Mountain Chimes the Mountain Chimes have an upcoming gig so you feel free to check them out on Facebook and check out their music on SoundCloud. Just search for The Mountain Chimes. This song here is called Memories, and after the song, we'll go straight to our interview with Matthew Mullins.
Uh, dude, dude, I'm, I'm loud now. There we go. There we go. Uh, dude, again, thank you for coming. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, you for having me. Man. You're the first guest to ever bring beer. I'm surprised by that, but thank you. Saying that's cool. that, let's pop one of those bad boys. Yeah, definitely. Open. You want one? Sure. Got some Blue Moon. White IPA. I'm going to be honest. I don't really know the difference, but... Neither do I. <laughs> no, I try this is going to be a new experience for both of us. Mm. Wow. I could taste the difference, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Are you usually a Blue Moon kind of guy? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, I like actually trying to find an orange and slice it up and put it in and... <laughs> Bring out those citrus hints. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm not really a blue moon kind of guy, yeah. but uh, it's my default when I go to a bar, and I don't know. Yeah. What the fuck? Because you know, I'm not sure you noticed, but lately the bar scene is changing in San Jose for the better. I'm sure, but a lot of craft beers ha- is, yeah. you know, is yeah, out there. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know what half of those things are. <laughs> yeah. Last thing I want to do is pay like ten dollars for like a cup of that. Yeah. Only to end up not liking it. Yeah. I only to look like an asshole trying to get you know like like change, change get a different drink. Yeah. So I'm like, oh well, there's Blue Moon, you know, it's the only thing I recognize. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so fuck it, let's go with the Blue Moon. The thing with those that like are really exciting and really yeah, like what you said, like kind of makes me nervous is that they're so specific. So if you like all those crazy ingredients that they have, then hey, you're good. But the margin for <laughs> what you don't like is also you know bigger because. You know, they put like, oh, we're going to put like chili pepper and, you know, oyster hints and citrus. It's like, wait, what? Like, that's crazy. Yeah, that's, that's nuts. What's the most interesting beer you had to uh, indulge yourself into? Oh, man. Um, I feel like there's some pretty cool, like, ones infused with like coffee and like chocolate. That's kind of cool. They're, I heard some good are, stuff about those. Actually. Yeah, those are pretty interesting. Yeah, they're, they're like, they're stouts, so they're pretty heavy and, you know, but, but I like those. Yeah, those are pretty cool. All right, yeah. Matt. Sorry, man. I think one thing to establish to the listeners is we are both dead tired. Yes. By the way, how do you like? I want to go back to our show that we performed. You know, yeah. And I'm not sure if the listeners knew, but Matt Mullins was uh, the bass player and the harmonica player for my infamous Santa Cruz show. <laughs> infamous. Uh, you know, well, you know, because I I kind of uh, told people how crazy it was. Oh, it was. It was a crazy it was experience. Experience, man. Yeah. yeah. Off and on the stage. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was that was a night, man. Yeah, that was crazy. But um, the, the next day, man, I was, I I couldn't even leave my room. <laughs> I, I I was so dead tired. Yeah. How did you, how was your night after? Oh yeah, same thing. Like I think I was still like sucking in air from the world because like that was the most like claustrophobic show I think. <laughs> That place was small. If you ever been to like Cafe Riscotti, yeah. it was like maybe the size of that, and there was like a hundred, maybe a hundred plus. It was filled to capacity. At one yeah, point. it was like low ceiling though. It was crazy. Darkly I couldn't lit. breathe <laughs> after the last song. You're like, thank you. I'm like, yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Air, oxygen. Dude, it's funny because we got there and we're like, oh, how many people were expecting? We're like, oh, maybe like a hundred or so. We go in there. It was like, no, like, like 30 people. Yeah. It was maybe like a little less than a dozen when yeah. we got there. By the end of by the end of our first song, it's like, before we know it, there's a wall of like people. Yeah. yeah it's like, what? Yeah. And one thing I never prepare for, which I, I don't think many people think about, is just the sweating that happens on stage. It, oh it gets in your goodness. eyes. Yeah. It's just very distracting. It also spreads to your like hands too, which is 
hard because then your like hands are slippery and it's like you're trying to play the strings. It's like oh man. Now I understand. Um, oh. um, Mark Knopfler. Yeah. Because he used to wear headbands, right? Those sweatbands. Oh right, yeah, yeah. That was his thing, right? <laughs> and they're like, why is he doing that? <laughs> I totally get it now. Yeah, it I makes totally total get sense. It. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know, like, uh, Ben Gibbard from Death Cab for Cutie, I actually never thought of that until, like, you just said that, but he wears, he wears the sweatband, you know, you oh, remember, like, in middle school when right. you had, like, those sweatbands? He wears one of those. Uh, I thought it was, like, a punk thing. I thought it was, like, I a- thought it was, too, but maybe it's because he's the one sweat going on his hands. That would be, that would make but a lot of sense. How, but how would that stop the sweat on your hands, or the sweat? No, because, like, what if you're, like, look, okay, I get, I, this is a weird thing to talk about, but I get sweat, like, right here. Like I mean, say you're on the phone forever, right? Which which is on the uh, crevice yeah. of your elbow, exactly. Yeah, yeah. What if it spreads here? Because I feel like that was happening to me at, at Santa Cruz. Like yeah. I was getting sweaty here, and it was dripping all the way down my wrist oh. to my fingers. It's your bass player. Yeah. <laughs> to your so bass. maybe he's a genius, and it wasn't yeah. a punk thing. He was just like, <laughs> what, what instrument did he play for Death Cab for Cutie? Oh, he played a uh, uh, six string. Yeah, electric, electric. electric yeah, and sing. Yeah, so telecaster. Oh, okay. Oh, dude. Uh, did uh, I didn't I did not give you my my password for HBO Go? But there was an amazing documentary about the uh, studios. Uh, the Foo Fighters traveled yes. around the oh, different studios. Sonic Highways, right? Yeah, yeah Sonic yeah. Highways. And and they, and they actually they interviewed uh, Death Cab for Cutie. Oh, really? For, oh, that's cool. For one of the uh, uh, studios that they went into. I think I want to say it's in New York. I think it's a New York one. Mm-hmm. But uh, definitely, you got to check it out. Yeah, that sounds. Yeah. That's but, really cool. But Matt Mullins, it's, I'm happy to have met you, dude. You you were an amazing uh, addition to, oh, thanks, to, to the band, and and uh, pretty much uh, you started at a very young age. Uh, I recall you telling me. Yeah. That, so yeah, I started playing uh, piano, like classic piano, like classical music piano at uh, six, age six. Like Beethoven stuff. Yeah. Yeah, like, you know, just, I feel like most people start there when they're that young, you know. You're not going to be playing some, like, Miles Davis or something. <laughs> or but, yeah, just, you know, like, Ode to Joy and all those songs. And, um, yeah, I actually, there was an old, I forget what the name of it was, but uh, right next to Seven Eleven on uh, Berries and Noble, that's where, so it, it was Seven Eleven, and then there uh-huh. was this awesome music, uh, music and teaching place. And... <clears throat> music school, excuse me. And yeah, I played there from ages six to like when I was maybe 11. I, I played there, um, you know, I, I could read music really well. I played classical music for a while, then transitioned to jazz a little bit. And then after that, I went to Piedmont Middle, which is right next to my house too, and played in, um, well, I wanted to play piano, but the only way you can play piano is that if you're, you have to be in advanced band for one year. And I'm like, okay. So I played percussion in advanced band, like trying to slide by in there. <laughs> How was play. that transition from piano to percussion? Um, It was, it was fun. It, it was interesting because actually I liked it because there was so many like other instruments to play. Like, you know, we had... If you were playing snare on a song, you were probably, like, the top of, like, the percussion section. You know, there was, like, five kids. In our, Interesting. Yeah, and I never played snare, which is fine. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, they that person would play snare. And then there's, like, all these other instruments, like xylophone, which I played a lot because it's, like, you know, mm-hmm. piano layout. Um, you know, xylophone, vibraphone, and... Uh, did, did you, you dig that kind of stuff? 
Um, yeah. I've, I've, I've always found the xylophone a little annoying. Yeah. It, out it, of all the instruments in jazz. Really? It, it, it got extra annoying for me when I found out that, you know, some gal was really into, like, she had, like, a bit of a crush on a xylophone player. Oh, yeah. Which is always like, what? Really? <laughs> it is It is I, not out of, the out most. Out of all musicians, the xylophone yeah. no, player? No, I, I get it, yeah. I mean, I get the trumpeteer. I get the saxophonist <laughs> or the drummer. Like, really? You got, you got to get me jealous over the xylophone player? <laughs> Yeah, well, I so hope, that was yeah. a new, new low for me. <laughs> anyway, so yeah. Do people so, not like me? Like, you, no, <laughs> I'm just, I, went, I feel like I play. I didn't play it all the time, so yeah. But like, yeah, after after that, I played, um, I was able to play in the jazz band after that, and that like opened up my like whole world to music because that was like such a cool experience. What kind of jazz um, were you guys uh, digging into? Oh, just, you know, a lot of like, you know, the standards and like... Um, oh, don't say that. What do you mean the standards? Like, you know, when they say jazz standards, everyone's supposed to know what that means, even though I don't really know. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't know, like, you know, Cause like the, Louis Armstrong, and or even though that's not What's really so standard Armstrong, about Louis Armstrong? That shit's dope. No, 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 it is, but that's just what they call it, just so you're supposed to know. Well, I don't know, because I'm rec- recently getting into jazz cassettes. I got, I'm trying to build a collection. Yeah, cool. cool. And I, I'm kind of going back to those to those people, like, uh, like Count Basie. Kind of stuff. I guess instead of standard, you could say like classic. How cla- about that? Classical about that? jazz, like big or Dad-ish? traditional classic jazz. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's kind of the stuff we played. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And first of all, we skipped a little ahead because mm-hmm. since at the age of six, you were already uh, a dedicated, you know, musician. You, you know, going to class and so on. Was that was that really your choice, or was it like your parents trying to? Um, no, they find you a hobby. So my my mom. Because we had some other people that we knew, like family friends that had, you know, kids going to music classes at like age five, you know, and, and six. And and she's like, she, my parents are pretty, um like, supportive of anything, like, you know, that like me or like my sister want to do. So they asked me, like, e- even at that young age, like, hey, do you want to do that? And I'm like, yeah, because I always loved music, like, even at that young, you know, my, my dad was always, always have, like, you know, classic rock on, and, you know, and I just love, you know, I love music, so I'm like, yeah, sure, and, um, yeah, so it, it was, it was pretty much, you know, up to me, it was, it didn't feel like a forced thing. I, I have other things in my life that felt forced, like baseball. <laughs> you didn't that know baseball? was forced. Huh? Really? Yeah. I, I played baseball for about eight years, and... Yeah, that that felt pretty pretty. What was I your mean, I What was your position? Uh, just everywhere. I mean, I play. I, I pitched a lot. That was my favorite thing. But like, the more I did, the the more people are like, "Oh yeah, he's not very fast or like you know, very good at batting or anything." We put him in the outfield and like. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, I didn't. Yeah, because my dad. Uh, I mean, he didn't force me, but he. he was like the biggest baseball fanatic, or he wasn't. Oh no, is it one of those stories? Yeah, I mean, he's from uh, New York. He grew up loving the New York Yankees, you uh-huh. know, like. And his one Leeds dream Navy was Blue. to have a son. I, yeah, yeah. To be a baseball player. Oh, definitely. So. <laughs> How yeah. was that conversation like? Right. Yeah, and he was my coach for like ever too. Oh so. my god. I mean, it wasn't so much enforce me. It's like I didn't want to let him down or anything. So, so that did feel forced. But but music. Like, w- once, you know, I was done with baseball and I finally made the decision, like, before, this was before high school, to say, like, hey, I don't, this is not my avenue, you know. And then, you know, I got way more into music and, um, you know, my other extracurriculars that I'm into now. And, and uh, yeah, he was, like, totally supportive of that now. And, like, yeah, I think, I think 
me being like or fully committing to being a musician made him like more of a music nerd too you know like because he doesn't even watch baseball anymore which is really funny like <laughs> yeah what changed so I, I think that like he's I don't know I, I think he really like really thinks of me as like someone who he can invest time to like he for example I think we've talked about this before but he owns like 27 guitars yeah but he doesn't play he likes to fix them up. He likes to learn about, you know, how to fix them up and um, see what will work for me and, you know, everything. And so that that's really cool to have someone like that. 27 too. guitars. Probably doesn't more. play them. I haven't even counted in a while. That's like borderline hoarder kind yeah, of stuff. it is. It really is. Well, yeah. When did it first start? Oh, man. Um, yeah, probably when I was, like, in high school or, like, beginning in high school. So how many years ago was that? Oh, my God. Were you, in, were you in any bands during high school outside of the school band? <laughs> so it's funny because uh, the band I'm in now, the Mountain Chimes, um, my guitarist, Mark Mamrick, uh, he went to middle school with me, Piedmont Middle. And um, yeah, we had a band in middle school called, uh, we have in my house, we have this extra room called the Screen Room. Yeah. Um, and so our, <laughs> this is so bad. Our band name was called Screen Room Confessions. <laughs> Dude, confessions. So like that's a middle school name. Like if there ever was one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what like, kind of confessions I were know. happening in that Dude, screen room? I know. Um, I actually didn't think of the name, which is awesome that I can say that. But um, but yeah. So it was um, yeah. Me and him. Uh, I actually played like keyboards, which didn't fit at all. And then really, uh, considering you started in piano, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, no, I mean, didn't fit the music that the other people in the band were going for. What like, kind of music? It was more like for? alternative, like pop punky kind of stuff, oh, almost. Okay. Yeah, um, but uh, they actually <laughs> the the lead singer who was the bassist and um, the drummer. It was more the lead singer though. Like uh, I, I won't name names, but uh, he uh, like kicked me out of the band. He's like, oh yeah, it just doesn't seem like you know, like keyboard, which I get like would fit and everything. And, and, but they used my name for a little bit, but again, we never played any shows. But uh, what do you mean they used your name? They, they kept the name of the place in my house that we practiced at. The <laughs> and they, and they still practiced in the house? No, they didn't practice at my house, but they used the name screen room confessions. And it's like, <laughs> like, yeah, who's screen room? <laughs> like, what? But, uh, yeah, but, after but, that, they but, had, like... I mean, by this time, yeah. you, you were a multi-instrumentalist. So why not just switch over to a different instrument um, and still be part of the time, band? I actually wasn't, yeah. Because I didn't pick up guitar until, like, probably a couple years after that. But you were in drumming, right? A little bit. A little bit, Xylophone yeah. playing? Why yeah, not just put in bit. the xylophone? Oh, man. Yeah, that would have been even more out of place, probably. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and then after that, then I got into... Then I got into guitar and picked it up and... I, I didn't read a lick of music for guitar. I just, huh. it, it was totally by ear. Um, I started playing like a lot of like blues rock actually. Like just, you know, I, I loved bending on the guitar and like yeah. how that felt and like vibrato. And I was just trying to get the feeling of it mostly. And um, Were you songwriting at this point? A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. I was mostly just going in my the screen room, plugging in like loud distortion. Like really, I... I only practice was distortion <laughs> and uh um had a uh gold topless paul copy and would just just rip on it like for like an hour and annoy my neighbors um 
but yeah, that's kind of like how I started playing guitar was just blasting distortion and just like playing whatever. And yeah, for like a year of that, um, and then I transitioned into you know playing acoustic guitar and trying to yeah trying to write some songs and why the transition from like distortion kind of guitar playing oh, to I acoustic. Thought... Yeah, we were like at this at some point I'm gonna have to play this to the public, you know. Right, I gotta tone it down. Yeah, is that what happened? I also I didn't see much. um, Like it wasn't. It was more like of a visceral stimulation than like a like a cerebral one. You know what I mean? Like so, I didn't feel like I was getting the most out of music that I could be doing just doing that. So um, that's when I started like trying to like okay, well, what music interests me like. So I, I would go and like, you know, try to do covers like tabs, you know, ultimate guitar tab or dot com or whatever that is and and like get tabs for different songs and then and then I started just kind of um every time that I pick picked up a guitar, I wouldn't try to learn theory. I just started like playing whatever. Like whatever like I picked a guitar and whatever came to mind or, how, how old are you? Oh man, I was probably like probably like fifteen. Okay. Yeah. And I would just play yeah, I would just kind of play whatever I I don't say whatever I wanted because I would just start playing and then if something sounded cool I'd be like oh I gotta record that so I'd like get my little like webcam on my computer or whatever and like record it and and go back to it maybe if you know if it interested me but yeah that's how it kind of started you know what it honestly kind of is how that that's how I am right now too, because I, I don't. I still don't really study theory that much. I, I kind of just play whatever. <laughs> I feel it's too late for me to study theory. Yeah, you know, that's why I say how old are you? Because I figure if you're young and you get to music theory, I think it's easier to really grasp the and really take advantage of it when you're growing up and playing music. But me, I started late. I started mm. really taking uh, practicing music seriously at 24. So I was like, you know, it's, 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 I'm, I'm like, that train left for me. There's no way I can get to theory. I feel like, I feel like you still can. Yeah, I feel like I you mean, can yeah. sprinkle it in. You yeah. know what I mean? I just I feel, feel like, like I'm at that point. I was like, you know what? At this point, the only thing I got really is trying to emote <laughs> Yeah. what I'm trying to say with this, with this guitar. I mean, that's cool too. Yeah. That I mean, that, again, that's what I kind of do too. But the difference between yeah. you and me is like you have you have a trained ear for it. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just winging maybe. it. <laughs> <laughs> But that's even more impressive, because like you sound great and you say you just wing it. Oh, thank you, man. So that's like no, that's great though. I mean, I feel like it's never too late to spring. The thing about that, about theory and like me playing, you know, as long as I did, when you stop reading music, you lose the skill. Mm. Like, bam, like you lose it. If you stop like practicing for like a couple months, you're not going to be able to read like almost anything like it's it's hard to get back into it like i'll read like a simple like song like you know mary had a little lamb like in music notes and well that's kind of unfair because i know it by heart like but (laughs) but if i read simple notes i'm like oh man is that an e or is that a flat or like where's the chart i'm like oh it's hard yeah yeah, it's a skill you have to keep up but i feel like just playing music and writing with a trained ear or not not a trained ear. Uh-huh. Like, I feel like you, you can't lose that almost. I feel like if you have it, you just keep, you know. I mean, you can. Like, if you don't practice for a long time. But I feel like right. still, after like maybe a half a year of not playing and then I play, I, I still I still can do something, you know. It's it's fun. It, it's fun to have that kind of like wow. connection to, to music, you know. Just, I don't know, it's cool. Yeah. So here you are. You picked up the acoustic. Yeah. And you're just writing songs, playing songs. 
Uh, uh, did you join any other bands, or were you like, "Oh, this is it. This is my um, solo career." I I played with, I jammed with a few people, like you know, some of my friends were playing music, but nothing seemed like you know. The, the really did you go back to the confessional people? No, to no, 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 no. Sliding door? Was it screen door confessional? <laughs> screen door. That, that's a cool one. Uh, no, screen room confessional. <laughs> screen room. I'm sorry. <laughs> a room of screens. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so why your friends continue on being the screen room They did it, actually. Like, after one, like, like couple practices without without me, I guess, like, they wanted... The, the bassist and drummer wanted to do something else. And my my now guitarist, Mark, mm-hmm. he, he's, I think he sold his guitar, and he went to break dancing. Ah. Th- throughout high school, like, for four years, he was a break dancer. He was a b-boy. Yeah, and he was really good. He went to competitions and stuff, oh, and wow. he didn't play music at all for like four years. Yeah, wow. Like I very, very brief or very uh, you know sparsely, he told me, but yeah. So both both of us after um, high school, like I was still keeping up music, but he picked it back up, and um, yeah, he just messaged me on Facebook one day, and because we, we hadn't seen each other for four years, we went to different high schools. He went to Independence, and I went to Piedmont. So how'd you guys come back? together he he messaged me and said hey matt uh it's mark i don't know if you remember me but like you know do you, and i did because we were like best friends like i don't know why i would say that but um but uh yeah he said like you know do you still play and i'm like yeah i definitely do and he, he's like you know did you ever want to like jam and everything and we jammed once and it was just like like click right away like it was it was really cool and that day, because like I, I would mess. Around. We have we had a um, a dean like a junior bass, like a really starting bass, and uh, I I would mess around with that you know once in a while too. And on that jam session, um, like I was playing guitar, he was playing guitar, but I'm like, no, nah, I'm gonna I want to hear what he can do with guitar, and maybe I'll just go on bass. And once I did that, I'm like, I feel like I should just play bass now because I not only to have him like you know, play his guitar and see where that could go in, in a group. But to see, you know, cause I, I actually really love playing bass. Cause a lot of like my musical style is based on, um, like melodies and riffs. I love playing like one riff that really like gets stuck in my head or like, you know, um, so I, I really like that aspect of, of music playing like something that's not, you know, um, not in the norm maybe, you know, and kind of like, you know, off kilter like stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I started, I started playing bass like the day after or the day of us jamming together. And that's how like our band kind of like, you know, came to be was we would just have jam sessions and I was like learning bass with, with his music kind of, kind of thing. Like his, he would bring music, you know, to, to me and be like, Oh, let's let, uh, you want to look at this song? I'm like, yeah, sure. And, and, uh, you know, I just like, I would he would play like a section of a song over and over and over and I would just play over and over and over until something clicked and he's like "Ooh, I like that or me too I'd be like oh that's a cool riff okay now let's move on and that that's how every jam session was for like a year like he'll he'll bring a song in he'll play you know a riff over and over over for like seven minutes and I'll just play whatever and then when something clicks we just move on to the next section of the song I don't know how other bands do it (laughs) But that's how we did it, and it's yeah. it, it's a cool process because it, it's like half improvised and half you know because it's not like I'm trying to like oh I think a fifth would work here let me write that in and or a third you know or you know 
uh, we should have a chromatic here. And no, it wasn't like that. It was totally an ear thing. Um, and he also had like hints of jazz influence too. So we were both, yeah, we were both kind of like, we were composed and improvised at the same time. Cause he, he, he brought like the composed aspect of our band. And then I kind of brought that improvised, like, you know, from that, the jazz band in middle school and from, you know, just my own experience, like bringing that like jazz flavor and the improvised thing. And yeah, I, th- I think that's, that's a, for, for me still, it's, it's still a stimulating part of our band. Like, like how we can, we can do both. We can have a composed song and then there's like some experimental kind of impro- improvised sections too. So how long until you guys are performing in front of people? I think, a, I think like about, I want to say like nine months, 10 months. Yeah. And then we played at, uh, our first show was at the poor house bistro. Um, by this time, do you have the drummer or would he come no, later? No, no, it was just us. Yeah. We played about four shows without the drummer. We played there. I think we played at Cafe for Scotty once, um, once or twice without him. Where else did we play? Um, we played at my house for like a Halloween party or something. Like just us two. We played a Ghostbusters cover. <laughs> it was funny. And you, um, you, so far when I heard of you guys' the music, I did not hear any uh, vocals. Yeah. Is it, is it all instrumental? It is until like a month ago. I wrote I wrote our first song with vocals nice. a month ago. Um, well, wh- so why did it take you guys decided. so long? What, what was the idea behind like, let's be a, a band, but let's do only instrumentals? I think it was because of both of our influences were, were for, for songwriting were really instrumental based. Um, and yeah, like, so what we're listening to, like, uh, Chon is a, a huge influence. They're, they're, they're like a math rock band and, um, Delicate Steve, uh, Battles. These are all like bands that really use a lot of guitars some synthesizers too and they really try to like make weird melodies that you know are not really traditional and um trying to have that music being stimulating without you know a singer it's 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 almost like a challenge you know like i feel like you know in screenwriting it, it's a challenge too because you're constricted right but that that breeds a lot of you know a lot of interesting things to be constricted yeah, do, do you kind of feel the same way about that? Like, yeah, yeah, I I, I like that in in art. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't think constricting is the right word, but I think that it could be perceived that way. It's more of guiding. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can, ultimately you choose what what you know what beats to have there. Yeah, yeah. But if you have something that goes off, you know, from the usual stuff uh-huh. that serves the story. Just, just like jazz, if you have a certain riff that's different from the other riffs, and you just go on that. Yeah, I, I find that to be the most uh, interesting about screenwriting and writing in general. You know, because you, yeah. you you don't want it to be you know so formulaic to the point where it's generic. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Is that what you're, what you're referring to? I think to? so. Yeah. I I also think what I mean is for screenwriting, there's a certain structure you follow. You know. What By I the mean? way, did we talk about this? Did you get into screenwriting as well down the future? Yeah, I, I studied screenwriting, like, for four years at the Anza. Yeah, yeah okay. See, that was another thing yeah. I, I was That was my major, up. yeah. What, was that me, <laughs> me and you had the same screenwriting same teacher. Same screenwriting teacher, Brock Oldman, yeah. Yeah, but but <laughs> I, I think I, I you had him a little uh, later than I did. Right. right. I think, like, when you left, that's when I started. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but yeah, so one one thing I found interesting about that too is that you know he would always say you know make every line okay make every word mean something like you know and I thought it was interesting having those boundaries like oh you you know you want to make everything as you want to cut it down as much as possible and make everything count and like I thought that was so much different than like you know uh, like free verse or or like you know writing just like a, a novel or an essay because it's more like stream consciousness and this was more like stream of consciousness and then edit it to make it as perfect as possible like yeah. as pointed as possible well so. I, I always felt screenwriting is a lot like being a a sculptor oh yeah where, that's a good where analogy. where you 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 have to start off with a big block of, of concrete you have to just like in writing uh, a screenplay you have to put whatever you got into the screenplay yeah. even if it's too long if it's shitty dialogue there's you know stupid plot points stupid characters you gotta put it out there and then you start cutting it down to inform ultimately that shape you're looking for and, and what's best with the piece of rock that you're dealing with as well you know uh, so it, it's it's yeah I mean I, I totally get what you're saying it's like you have to really cutting down specifically what what each line is and yeah is, is that what you're going for yeah and I, I think that's like a really interesting way of, of doing something is like is having not constrictions but yeah like that kind of like guiding factor in it. it's not just like oh do whatever you want no it's like you want to you want to bring whatever you got to the table like you were saying but you want to make it like very like pointed and make everything mean means something and it needs to be efficient screenwriting i feel like is an art of efficiency too you have to be very efficient with yeah. your words like every word needs to mean something especially when you have you know people like like um people who do props and people who do costuming they, they need to know what they're gonna what their job's gonna be based off your script right you know so it's i think that's an interesting aspect of it you have to be very uh efficient with everything yeah. now saying that though also, being a director, uh, have you directed any films before? Uh, not any no. worth mentioning. No, oh, <laughs> I but, mean for for like projects, yeah. Because you know, eventually, as a screenwriter, you write your script the best way you can, and if it's great, great. Yeah. But you know, uh, I think a lot of young screenwriters don't keep in mind is that a lot of it can be changed depending how you know on the actors portraying your characters Most definitely yeah. and, and the direction from the director mm-hmm. you know so for me that's why you know when i write screenplays for others i you know i always have to stop myself and be like dude all right i mean you, you, you gotta leave breathing room for for those yeah. to, who you collaborate with to add their right their, their, their uh, what you call it it's like a lot like jamming you know like i remember when we first jammed it's like hey dude here's what i got you yeah. know and you just add on right you know, as opposed to me telling you how it should be. Exactly. It's like, no, yeah. it's like, you're here for a reason. Which some people are like that, which is interesting. Well, I don't know how, how to deal with that. I don't know. It, I mean, it's frustrating. Yeah. Like, that. those type of, of people I've jammed with, like, you know, I, it just didn't really work out for me. Like, being, being told, like, oh, I want this here, this there, this there. I like that kind of open... You know, I, I mean, I'm. I was totally... nervous. I, I was nervous when I called you up, man, or when I when I when I tapped your shoulder to to join me, uh, because I I was telling, you can recommend it from Israel, actually. 
Oh, really? Oh, yeah, because cool. yeah. I, I knew you here and there. I know you backed up Patrice oh. when she played for a couple of my shows. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, and and I I saw some of your stuff, which is pretty cool. Oh, thanks, man. And uh, you know, and before I know it, I had the show at Santa Cruz. I'm like, oh, dude, like you know, they want me to play in a bar. I can't do this alone. It's an hour <laughs> set. It's, it's best to go to the band route. And you know, my boy, fucking uh, Will's amazing. Oh, he, he's there, he's awesome. there for me. Yeah. So and and Will's a great drummer. So I'm yeah. like, frick, I got that. And I, I've played with the keyboard before, uh, mm-hmm. but for this time around, I, I just really want to see how my music could be. With just having the the the, the simple bass and percussion yeah. behind me, like yeah, more I'm of like, a backbone kind of exactly. Yeah. I was felt, I was felt. You know, you you gotta have. Uh, I think most bands should have the best musicians should be the bass and the drummers. That's uh, interesting because I feel you guys, you guys are the rhythm section. You guys are, are the ones who, who yeah. are the driving force of the song. Essentially, that's yeah. what I feel. At least in, add in the, some muscle to it. Yeah, kind of in the band. <laughs> so. And, and I and there's not that many bass players around here. That's true. And, and I also feel the same way about drummers. And drummers, <laughs> yeah, the, the two most Believe important me. things. We searched for a drummer <laughs> yeah. for a year. Like when I say search, I mean like yeah. called up at like, do you know any drummers? Like yeah. who uh, who plays drums? It's Craigslist ads and stuff. Uh, yeah. I w- yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I would I would spend like my nights falling asleep to just like. I need to find a drummer for the band. Like, no, it's bad. so I'm extremely lucky to have met Will oh, early yeah. on, and 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 me and we have a great friendship. But like, it came out to bass players, and the few bass players that I knew, you know, they were already involved in so many right, other bands, right. and a lot of them, you know, you know, I knew I was like, I, toss like Israel, man. It's like I'm looking for a bass player. Do you know anybody? And and he's like, no, not really. Then we just started talking. And he mentioned that he played at the Art Boutique, and then. We mentioned your band, the the, the chimes, uh, the mountain chimes. And he goes, "Oh yeah, dude, that 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 bass player is sick. Oh, cool, man. Like he's he's really good." I'm like, "Who? Matt Mullins?" I'm like, "Why does that sound familiar?" Oh, it's that guy that was at Frascati. <laughs> and I'm like, "So already, like, I you already, I already knew your work, and I knew that you were good." Oh, thanks. Which is always for me uh, more nervous because I'm like, you know, so if I bring someone who's who's really good. And they don't like my music, and like, oh fuck, this guy I could do much better. Like, really? Which I already yeah. did like the music because I, I <laughs> like being a Kathy from Scotty. Like, yeah, like I already, you know, listened to what you got, and I was like, I'm oh, so yeah, sorry. This is cool. I don't know why. <laughs> but, but, but the point is, is that like I, I knew when asking you, it's like I, I'm, I'm really, I'm really asking for your input and, and your creative uh, take on my music. Uh-huh. So I remember when we jammed, I was really nervous. Like, oh man, I hope he. He could just mesh well and oh, that's, and, and, and add so many yeah. great... Which you did, man. You fucking, you fucking rocked it out of the house. You, you oh, brought nice. some great ideas to it. Yeah. And you actually made these songs so much better than, than, than they originally oh, were. I, I, yeah, I, I really find a lot of uh, like really interesting things in the music. And stuff that... I, I think that's what's really cool about jamming with other people and not just yourself. Is that you see... like the abilities that other people have that you like might never like reach like like your songwriting abilities and you know your different stories are so like interesting and like I love that and that's something that I like when I write a song it's so esoteric and like like kind of like avant-garde poetry it's really strange and you write more like of a 
you know, like any number of song, like Shalva, White Roll Opera, about, about these like characters, like with all these different like quirks and everything, and that's super cool. I love that. I love that oh, about you. your music. That's super well, cool. See, those are lessons I learned from screenwriting. Yeah, you know, which is which is uh, characters, like yeah. writing characters. I didn't carry ever, anything over from screenwriting, did I? <laughs> I just well, no, it seems like you did, man. You a lot of stuff you tell me. Yeah. A lot. I love the comparisons you're making. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but like, wait, you you don't feel the screenwriting part applies to your songwriting? Not really. Not really. Like as far as like when I write lyrics, I I feel like yeah, I feel like I don't really think about screenwriting that much. Well, let me yeah. ask you this: when it comes to writing lyrics, do you feel that you're you are manifesting stuff about yourself in these songs. I feel like it's it's that, and it's also I try to do two things. I don't want my music to be completely personal, um, but I do want to have it stem from like a personal like passion or desire for for thinking about something. Like you know, um, like sometimes I I'll, I'll write songs about being like frustrated with not knowing what to do in the future or like uh sometimes i write songs about fearing about like the environment and how that's going on but you wouldn't really i feel like like an audience would say i have no idea what that song's about like i feel like they won't really understand that which is it's not their fault it's my fault but in a in a purposeful way i do that purposefully but it's not your responsibility if the, yeah. if the audience gets it or not yeah i, I feel you i feel the responsibility of a songwriter is just to create a, a, a good song the best they can yeah. and it's up to, it's not really up to you with the i mean ideally you want the audience to like it yeah and that's why it's different for me than stand-up is because uh, for stand-up, I, I I am at the mercy of the crowd mm. if they like my jokes or not. The only way I know is they they laugh. If they don't laugh, like fuck it, that joke sucks. I gotta work on it. Yeah. But with music, it's, it's uh, you know it's for me at least. It's like all right, I gotta like this song. Yeah. You know, because last thing I want to do is make a song that everybody likes but I don't like. That's an interesting distinction you just made, like between that, because I no, I totally, I completely agree with that. That if you don't like the song, then you shouldn't even play it. Like if you don't, but you really have to play it because everybody loves it. Yeah, you have to play it because it's in the top forty. See, that's whatever. what scares me about music. Like I never want to be that guy who's like playing, or who's doing. I guess I just don't really want to be a cover band. But like, who's ever playing? Like <laughs> that's a nightmare. Or what I mean by cover, <laughs> I don't mean cover bands. Not disrespect to the cover band. Yeah, no, there. I didn't mean that. I meant like, like if a if a bar or somebody plays says like, hey, you got to play. Um, like Taylor Swift covers, like for ten nights, and I'm like, no, nah, I'm not doing that. Like, and the, iron- the yeah. ironic part is, is cover bands get paid a it's, lot. It's crazy. That's where the money's That's at. So crazy. That's where the money's at, man. Yeah, and again, no disrespect to them. I I feel like maybe just the covers I would want to cover, yeah. which would be super underground, and no one would <laughs> ever know, and which is the crux of my uh of my whole career. <laughs> but I was asking, like, because I feel. I feel that's a good place to start is internal stuff. Yeah. And, and, and you write, and I feel what I do different, uh, because you know, I come, you know, I understand it's like, holy shit, you know, I'm not the best fucking musician out there, but what can I offer? And, and I think that's why a lot of my songs start off externally. Yeah. It's like, what's an, a character that's interesting to write a song about? And from there, then I apply certain things of myself into that character. Yeah. 
That's really uh, cool. You know, and I think I think that's that's an edge I think I developed. Yeah. Over other other local songwriters. Yeah. If there was one like uh, X factor thing about you, it would definitely be that. Yeah. Because like, I'm sure there's you know pe- people all have their songs of of you know oh my, I, I I I'm in love or I'm out of love right. or but it's like what if I write about someone else who who's gone through the experience and someone else who's in a different class or different different you know just a different place in in society yeah and how that how their experience would be different. And then, and then, I don't know, I don't know what I'm saying at this point, but you get what I'm trying to say, though? Yeah, no, I, I totally get that. That external, you're saying that you're not necessarily writing from a place, you're relating to someone else as best, you're trying to be empathetic, I, th- I think. Is yeah, kind of, yeah. kind of. And, and I, I think that's, yeah. and that's why, like, again, like, that's what I'm trying to offer my audience, is just a different kind of song. Yeah, that's a different kind of song of love, a different yeah. kind of song of of hopelessness, of desperation. I think you're trying to come from a different place too, like yeah. within yourself. You're trying to like. And again, I think that comes yeah. from my screenwriting background. Yeah, I, I think that comes from my writing background. Oh, I definitely think so. Uh, yeah. You know, just like try to meet as many people from different places in life as possible right. to to really, uh, when you write their kind of characters are similar to them, you have a, a place of reference. I think it's important to distinct to listeners too that. One thing about this is that you are still writing. You're still doing a screen yeah. I am not. Why'd you stop? <laughs> what happened? I I just well, hold on before hmm. we get there. Why did you get into screenwriting? Yeah. And 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 how was the experience through that? And what happened? How come you're no longer doing it? I I got into screenwriting because out of high school I had I actually in in senior year I remember there was a point where I'm like I feel like I'm not ready for a four-year because I don't know what I want to do, which always has scared me, not knowing, like, what I want to do in life. Like, so I was like, man, I don't really know what I want to do at all, and I'm not really sure. And and then I looked at myself and I said, okay, what do I like to do in school? Like, or just in whatever. And I'm like, well, I really like writing. I've always loved English and writing essays. I actually get excited to write an essay like if we had like a, a math test that was like 10 questions or like a you know 10 page essay i'm like yes essay yeah screw that math essay please <laughs> yeah um so i'm like okay well that's a start I, I i love writing not even if i'm good at it if i'm if i love it like it, i've i've always been like that like i don't even care about like you know like i do care about money it's scary but <laughs> money is actually scary to me but uh but it, what's important to me is, like, if I enjoy doing something. So I'm like, okay, I enjoy that. I don't even know if I'm good at it, but I do enjoy it. So let's try to explore that. And then, you know, I've been hearing, like, things about film. And I never I never was really interested in, like, you know, getting into the technical side, per se. Like, you know, um, like with cameras or camera operation or anything. But I'm like, what if I, like, put those two together? And I'm like, well, maybe I'll, I'll go to De Anza and, like, dip my toes in the water. See how it feels. And I went to... Um, uh, Glenn Lavelle's class for intro to film and I fell in love with it I'm like man this is cool and it, what's cool is is the first day we uh, watched and analyzed Fargo which is one of my favorite movies uh, the original not the TV or anything the All right. original Fargo the Coen Brothers Coen Brothers yeah yeah um, and yeah so it was really cool like analyzing a movie I already like knew and loved and grew up with um in, in a class setting, I'm like, oh, this is really interesting. So I started 
And then I think the next semester I did screenwriting and I also fell in love with that and I thought it was really, um, yeah, really stimulating. And I, I'm like, well, maybe I'll try to do this. And yeah, and I, I really loved it for a long time, but uh, I started no, noticing things about it that affected me in like a negative way. Like, well, for example, I could never like not procrastinate on something like so if Brock said oh bring me five pages by next week I'm like you got it I'm gonna start tonight I'm gonna start you know and I'm gonna do this much every day and life happened and like I'm like oh my god it would be Sunday night and I had to have a Monday morning and I'm like oh my god so I would stay up all night almost every week it was bad like I I my sleeping schedule was out of whack like I I think maybe at Deanza at that four years, I probably had close to like 40 all-nighters. Wow. Like no sleep at all. And I I am sure that's going to affect me in my future. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was... it was. <laughs> you might have lost some years oh of love. Oh my God. Pro- I can almost guarantee it. That's not healthy, man. You know? So that was one thing. But the major thing too is that in screenwriting, I took it so seriously to where, um, you know, when we had those those um workshopping workshopping uh sessions like were you know it was like four people in a group and we all brought our scripts and we would spend 10 minutes on one script 10 minutes on another and like analyze it um i would take that really seriously because one i really i love helping other people like especially with their art that's really interesting to me so and two like accepting feedback that overwhelmed me a little bit like oh this word can mean this and but what if we use it this way and like, oh, but what what does this character mean by this? What it yeah, so that affected me in my life too, because like yeah. I would get in I would get like in arguments with my parents more because because of like I think it's because of and I didn't figure this out until a little later, but like my third year in screenwriting, I noticed like I was like really angry a lot. Like because when someone said something in a certain way, uh-huh. I would take that tone and manipulate it. Like I mean like, oh, they said this so that means this. I would interpret things way too much. It was ridiculous, Jorge. Thanks, but it's a lot about me now. I, you know what I mean, though, right? <laughs> yeah. Because you analyze stuff yeah. all. You analyze stuff for and, like eight hours a day. And it's it's just, like how you're not supposed to think. And, like and that. you make up a whole story in your head. Yeah. Like oh, he, he oh, doesn't so glad care. You understand? He doesn't yes. give a shit. I know that's all. I do. Dude, or, or like, oh, they don't care, really? Like, oh man, I, I totally get oh, what, you, so what you're telling you. me. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, I, I remember. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, I agree with you, man. When you're when you're that kind of environment, uh, you you definitely become more critical. Yeah. Uh, about uh, how how re- your relationships with others. You yeah. Know? It's interesting that you bring it up because I don't know how to even explain it. Yeah. No, I I think it's just being in it so long, and you're just like like. I gotta do it perfect and ah, and I I I felt like I just had like it was almost like a relationship with like a person like it was a unhealthy relationship yeah. I had with screenwriting, uh-huh. and I'm not saying to anybody I'm not saying don't do it because it's it's so rewarding like it really is like I loved and I I finished a feature length, and I'm mm. so glad I would I would not take that back for anything like that's good that's such a thing that I have on you know in my heart like I when I when I wrote Fade Out that was one of the best feelings I've ever had like seriously it's a big accomplishment Jesus. I get it it yeah. was awesome Feature, yeah. like and we're talking about like I think it was 114 pages I, I 
mm. I, I wrote and I, I was so proud of myself and it was just really cool like so there's so many things we're worried about screenwriting but just for me in in my head it just wasn't it just wasn't working well, yeah writing in general is like that man yeah. like I, I see that in comedy as well in stand-up comedy mm-hmm. when, when I you could totally see uh, for example when you do comedy when you do stand-up the first fucking couple months it's fun mm-hmm. it's all good it's a new experience uh, first year maybe the whole year you're like oh this is great I'm mm-hmm. getting to shows and I'm exposing myself to hope and, and you know and you're all lucky by the second third year you, you you're like fuck you know what does this even mean to me now and yeah and, and you, like it's hard to explain not that you get bitter but you get desensitized right kind of right. to comedy and and so when you see the young guy coming in all happy go lucky I'm like dude shut the fuck up or just <laughs> just tell your jokes like I, I it's like the honeymoon stages with couples. I think that's what it is. Well, that's what writing... <laughs> yeah, it is. And and writing especially, it's like starting anything is fun, but then it becomes work. Yeah. And when it becomes work, it's like it's it's a whole different uh, dynamic and, and really uh, dealing with it. Yeah. And uh, and I just... Uh, I've been... You've been lucky enough to stop doing it for your own health. Uh, I'm still in, 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 the, in the hurricane of the, it. Here's the thing, Jorge, is that when... Anything you're doing, like that's a that's an entertainment or like that's an art, becomes work, and you don't like it when it can becomes work. Then I feel like you should stop doing it. Like so, for me, screenwriting was like that. Music was not when it became work, and like we're like, oh, we have to have this for this show, and I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Like I'm excited, and it's like, and it still excites me. And I've been playing for so long. I've been playing music for a really long time, and I love the work part. So I feel like. Like, if you love the work of screenwriting, then I feel like that's what you're meant to do, yeah. And if you love well, the work of comedy, you know? Well, I feel that's I how that. I uh, that's how I deal with it. Yeah. I think I, I get involved in different things yeah. To, yeah. To, to deal with it, you know? Like, yeah. I, like let's say I'm in the middle of a, of a screenplay and I'm just frustrated with it. Mm-hmm. I think I, I, I kind of move on to music. And yeah. And from there I move on to poetry or the film or the podcasting. Or, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I, I think, and that's what people say is like, Jorge, why are you doing so many things? Because I'm like, because I'm trying not to lose my shit completely. Yeah, I feel like that's the way I am <laughs> too. Yeah. No, I'm not doing it because I want to be super creative and shit. I'm right. doing it because if I, if I don't do it, I'm going to fucking shoot myself by, by yeah. this point. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, it's like, and that's good to have like some transitional. Yeah, because same with me. Like, I got, I got my music yeah. with, with myself, right. then with the band, then with other people like you. And then um, I have radio. You know, I'm doing you know programming logs for the station. I'm on air too, and that that's cool. I have that kind of transitionary. Yeah, I, I like what you said. Like if you, if something's driving you crazy, you can have another outlet. Like yeah, <laughs> I can yeah. be I can do creative outlet this way. You know, because in so. these days I feel like that, that's you get two choices: is, is do that, find different outlets. And an outlet that allows you to come back and to to keep working, yeah, or fucking medic medicated drugs, yeah, you know, I, 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 people. Oh my gosh, you know, and that's that makes I, so much sense though. But I, that's what I tell people: it's like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm doing so much I can, yeah, because I I really try and stay away from medicated yeah. dr- drug use. Yeah, you know? I mean, if you need it, take it. But if it's more on on the creative yeah, we're, level, we're really. Somewhere. Uh, <laughs> I, Does that make sense? I, yes. No, I'm like, I'm like swirling right now in my chair because, yeah, no, the, dude, like, like I'll come home from like a long day. It'll be like two thirty a.m. 
and there's nothing I want to do it other than like pick up my guitar and play. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. not even like a that's magic hour. Man. Yeah, because like you know, you know, there would be maybe a time in life that where I came home and I'm like, oh man, like a beer would like be good right now or whatever. But like now it's like I come home I'm like, oh man, like I don't even want to. I don't want to go sleep. I want to. I need to play some guitar. Or like you know what I mean? And I feel like it, it is kind of like a drug. Like it's a, it's a like a release. Like once you do, you have a craving for it, and once you like play and like you know for a while. Like you're like okay, I feel satisfied. Like, yeah, when it comes to guitar playing, it's like if I can't sleep, yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 I like at one a.m. I, I fuck fuck it and I get up and I play, I strum a guitar. Yeah, and my brother next door is like, dude, like, <laughs> shut the fuck up. <laughs> I'm like, you don't understand. It's for me, man. <laughs> I need this. I need I need to calm the fuck down and go to sleep. That's funny. Right? Man. Just let me strum yeah, away. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I totally, I totally yeah. simple that. Yeah. So you said you're into radio now. Yeah. How'd you get involved in that, and how, how's that working out? Um, man, it was funny because it, it it was similar to uh, Deanza. I I just didn't. I I wanted to do film, and I still I was like one foot out of screenwriting, and I'm like, okay, let's go to San Jose State, do do you know the radio, television, film department. Let's let's see what I can do there, and the uh, counselor suggested that I take a radio class just for credit purposes you know this will fill this you know um uh GE no not GE what's the um I was on the Undianza no no at San Jose State yeah oh oh yeah yeah. uh the the core fucking yeah right right she said oh this will fill that a certain section of that what is it called I know I don't know either But yeah, the certain amount of classes you need. To right. Take. Yeah, yeah. Right, and she's like, "Just take this. It's the easy class, and it's really enjoyable." Elective. A lot of people, was it elective? Elective. Jesus, I couldn't think of elective. Yeah, yeah that's I, the yeah. word. Yeah, elective. Oh my gosh. Um. So, <laughs> thank you. Um. Yeah. So take this little as an elective, and you know, it'll be it's an easy class. A lot of people enjoy it. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I didn't think of anything of it, and then um, yeah, a couple of weeks in, I'm like, man, I, this is amazing. Like. They, it was pretty much a class that you could do whatever you wanted. Like, you can do whatever you wanted. And let me explain that. So, it's like, um, you can do, say you were into, you know, recording or camera work or camera operation. You go to a sports game and, you know, you record the sports game and edit them and blah, blah, blah. Um, say you want to do um, our radio spots. You know, there's like a PSA that we need recorded or something. You go there and you work in Pro Tools and record it and like do some sound effects for the station and you could do that. Um, you can work to do the programming logs for the station, which I ended up doing. Um, you can be an on-air personality, on-air DJ. You can do that. Um, you can, and this is the the thing that really caught me into it. Um, one of our most important jobs here uh, at the radio department is reviewing albums and I'm like are you serious that's amazing because I literally already do that anyway sounds like, like a dream dude. yeah it, it's that's so fun listen like, to music all day listen to music all day it. write about it and get class credit for it like wow. what are you serious what was this I'll, class when, when I came in I, I don't take I don't <laughs> remember forever, I took a couple of radio classes but they weren't they weren't that loose about oh, really? you know, choosing what to do I think it might have been different though maybe the ones mm-hmm. you took yeah I, I don't know so. But um yeah so I, I went to this Well it didn't help that I didn't I didn't really like the 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 guy that runs the head of the oh, KSJS. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. The the, the teacher. 
Oh yeah. Oh you. Oh you didn't like him. You're saying? Uh yeah. The short, you know what I'm talking about? Um yeah yeah. The guy that bullies people around. Yeah. He, he's kind of like that. I forgot yeah. his name. He he's an interesting. Yeah. Person. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but it's everyone else. I I really yeah like all the managers. Well, because other than him, it's completely student run. Yeah, yeah. Which is really cool. I really like that. So, like, all the managers in every department, like, you know, all the music departments, which we have um, jazz and world and blues music. Um, that's the first one. Second one, sub rock. Uh, we have urban department, so your hip-hop, electronic department, and alternativo espanol, which is everything in Spanish, you know, any type of music. So that those are the five departments for that. And then we have um, social media, traffic, which is uh, what I do. And um, production, sports, and what else? Um, we used to have digitization too, which deals with like our library, like music and everything. So um, I, I thought it was really interesting that there were so many, you know, all the categories I just named. You could go and work in multiple categories and like see what you like, you know, in the radio station. So that's awesome. I really like that. Yeah, and I was I was in sub rock and traffic. Like those those are two things that I yeah. did, and. I mean, I already loved, before this, underground music, and then this is like a kid in a candy store type situation, because you're in this, you know, studio with all, and I love, um, I love, like, having, like, an album or, like, a vinyl, like, physical copies of stuff, so you, right. you open up this cabinet, and there's just, like, oh, there's, like, you know, hundreds of albums, like, with all, like, the cool inserts and Do everything. they have vinyl records at SGSU? They, so when I started there, um, last year, they... Yeah, they're um, they had vinyl and they were like getting rid of it, like getting rid of the vinyl. But they used to, yeah, they used to play records on air all the time, wow. like 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 know. on turntables and yeah. stuff. Wow. Yeah, yeah, okay, cool. Um, I, f- I don't want to like say wrong information. I'm not really sure when they switched doing that, but uh, yeah. So it, it's really cool to to have all all the uh, you know CDs and albums there and pick from them and you know read all the reviews and. It's just it's just a really cool like immersive experience to have and yeah I, I really fell in love with like analyzing music more and and reviewing it and I thought that was such a cool aspect of it and then once once you take the DJ class too and get on air you can talk about you know like all these records that you love and talk about the you know and, and what's really cool about um what I'm doing too is that I'm since I'm in the you know, music scene too. I make all these friends and I can talk about their music on air, which is like the coolest thing ever. Like it's fun helping out other people. And, you know, so I play, um, I play Israel's record all the time and the Amaranth LP yeah. and get to, get to play that. I, I just put Marty's in love stories, nice. um, in, and, uh, that should be, that should be in rotation pretty soon. Um, and I play, uh, my, um, my guitarist's music, uh, there too, uh, Mo mixtape is what it's called, and then uh, Cactus, uh, which is my drummer's band, and it's just really cool being able to have them on air and have them, you know, being played with people like Dan Arkerbach, who we just had his album. So you know, maybe in in a show you'll have you'll have you know Dan Arkerbach's you know waiting on a song like you know a track from that, and then the next track will be Israel Sanchez, you know. Ghost in the Room. You know, I think that's cool. That, that's awesome, dude. That it's not just like all these mainstream artists all in a row. Like sometimes you'll have a semi-mainstream, like like Dan Arbuck, and then you'll have like someone who lives down the street from you, like on, on air. I think that, I think that's a really cool thing that you can't really get many other places. You know, oh. I mean. Well, I'm happy it worked out for you. Where can people check out your your show? 
Um, I don't have like a set show right now. I'm doing like overnights and um, and filling in for people. But I I have an Instagram for it. Uh, DJ Fisher the Nest on Instagram. So DJ Fisher the Nest Instagram um, is where you can like check out. I'll, I'll put like when I'm doing an overnight or something. But I'm I'm trying to get a show in the fall. Um, so it'll be like once a week and probably in September. I'm not sure which what time yet, but it'll be a four-hour show, sub-rock show, and it'll be called The Nest. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm I'm excited about, like, continuing that. And, yeah. Matt, awesome having you here. Thanks, we Matt. reached the hour mark. Awesome. Uh, I, dude, this was fun. It was fun having Very you here. Very fun, yeah. Thanks, man. It's good talking to you. And I believe you're going to leave us with a song? Yeah, definitely. What, what song are you going to play? Um, How Was I Supposed to Know? How, is this a recent one? Um, yeah. Yeah, very recent, actually. I wrote it about, like, a month and a half ago, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so uh, it's... <laughs> I, I, I'm i doing a Martin Murillo thing, because he played a song here that wasn't off of his recent project, <laughs> which was really good, by the way. Uh-huh. But, um, yeah, I actually have a project on Bandcamp, uh, Matt Mullen on Bandcamp. You can find me. It's called Near, and I have two tracks on it, if you want to check it out. Free download. Um, but this is not off of it. <laughs> this is a, a new song. But, All right, uh, man. Yeah. Cool. Looking forward to it. All right. Awesome. Dice in every corner, which drew blood, drew dissonance, which gave direction. I swirl now with invention, foot now in confusion. Well, how am I supposed to know? How am I supposed to know? How am I? supposed to know how am I supposed to know How was I supposed to know? 
How was I supposed to know? How was I supposed to know? How was I supposed to know? How was I supposed to know? How was I supposed to know? Just for a little while, be damned if you